As we start September, we also start a new sermon series this morning, and the sermon series is on hope. Uh, we uh, chose that uh, one because hope is important to us, and we'll talk about that this morning. But we also thought, what better way to enter a new community as we enter Belmont than talking about something that's very important to us, in fact, a part of our name, hope. And so we're going to talk about that in the month of September, starting this morning. Tennessee Williams is a famous American playwright who perhaps in school at some point you had to read one or part of one of his plays. But maybe you didn't know that he also wrote short stories. And one of the short stories he wrote was called Something by Tolstoy. Something by Tolstoy tells the story of a man named Jacob Brodsky. Jacob Brodsky was a shy Russian Jew who runs his father's bookshop. Jacob's dream seemed complete when he married his childhood sweetheart, Lila. He was running the bookshop. He had his wife, Lila. There was not much more he could ask for. The life of a bookshop proprietor, though, suited him fine, but not his adventurous French bride. An agent for a vaudeville touring company heard Lila sing one time, and after hearing her sing, he talked her into touring Europe with their show. In the process of explaining to Jacob that she had to seize the opportunity and leave, she also left a chasm-sized hole in his heart. But before she left, he gave her a key. It was a key to the bookshop. He said to her, you better keep this because you will want it someday. Your love is not so much less than mine that you can get away from it. You will come back sometime, and I will be waiting for you. Lila went on the road, and Jacob went back to his bookshop. To deaden the pain, he turned to his books like someone else might turn to alcohol or drugs to keep him from thinking about Lila. Weeks turned into years, and when 15 years had passed, the bell above the bookshop's door rang, signaling the arrival of a customer, and in walked Lila. The bookshop's owner rose to greet her, but to her astonishment, he greeted her like any other customer. Do you want a book? Stunned and trying to maintain her composure, she raised a gloved hand to her throat and stammered, No, that is, I wanted a book, but I've forgotten the name of it. Regaining some poise, she continued, Let me tell you the story. Perhaps you've read it and can give me the name of it. Since... Uh, since uh, she then told him of a boy and a girl who had been constant companions since childhood. As teenagers, they fell in love, eventually married, and lived over a bookshop. She told him their whole story, the vaudeville company's offer, the husband's broken-hearted gift of the key, the return of the wife who was never able to part with the key, how after 15 years she finally came to her senses and returned to him. 
Then with a desperate plea, she said, you remember it? You must remember it, the story of Lila and Jacob. With a vacant, faraway look, he merely said, there is something familiar about the story. I think I've heard it somewhere. I think I've read it sometime. It seems to me that it's something by Tolstoy. Only the heartbreaking metallic echo of the key dropping to the hard floor interrupted her horrific silence. Lila, having let go of the key, as well as her hope, fled the bookshop in tears, and Jacob returned to his books. Not a joyful way to start a series on hope. (laughs) But this is how hope in our world sometimes works, isn't it? Jacob had hoped that at some point Lila would return. And he had assumed that whenever she would return, that he would embrace her love and they would pick up right where they left off. Lila had hoped, when she finally came to her senses, that she would walk into the bookshop and Jacob would embrace her and love her and they would pick up right where they left off. But what happened in this situation is that both Jacob and Lila ended up disappointed. Ended up having their hope not fulfilled. Hope is such an important thing to us as humans and in our world. It's obviously important to us as a church. We have it in our name. Some of you may not know why or how it got into our name, Mount Hope. Uh, We weren't, uh, the church wasn't founded with that name. In 1978, when the church was founded, it was called the Assemblies of God Christian Center of Lexington, Massachusetts at that time. And uh, eventually, in the year 2000, Pastor Crosby and others said, you know, let's see if we can come up with a name that more reflects who we are, more communicates to people who may not know anything about us who we are. And so a f- survey was done, and committees met, and, and what happened was they asked, you know, why do you come here? Well, what is it that, that keeps you here or drew you here? What one word comes to your mind when you think of the Christian Center? And many words came up, but one word came up more than any other, and that word was hope. More than any other, people said, well, I come here because of hope. I came here because I was given hope, or when I come, I sense hope in this place. So we named the church Mount Hope. I don't know where the mount came from. You'll have to ask Pastor Crosby that one. I don't have an answer for that. We're not really on a mountain. We're kind of on a hill, but hill hill hope doesn't sound as good. We have a mountain of hope, I guess. But, uh, but Mount Hope came about, and hope is something that's important. It's not only important to us as a church, it's important to Christians. It's important to our life. And whether you're a Christian or not, I think people think a lot about hope. We have expressions in our language, things uh, that we utilize the word hope in a lot. One expression is, don't get your hopes up. Another is, hope for the best. I think we often live much of our lives between don't get your hopes up and hope for the best. The unfortunate thing is sometimes that ground in between don't get your hopes up and hope for the best is named disappointment. 
much like Jacob and Lila. We often temper people's expectations with the expression, don't get your hopes up. We're trying to help them to avoid disappointment. Our kids that might want this uh, huge birthday present, you know, the kid that comes and says, I'm getting a pony for your birthday, for my birthday. And the parents might say, don't get your hopes up. Or the parent, the kid that might, the parent that goes to the child and says, I'm looking forward to seeing your report card this year. The child might say, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> we live in houses where kids don't want to disappoint parents and parents don't want to disappoint kids. And we all at some point end up disappointing each other. But we try and temper it with this expression, don't get your hopes up. But our best attempts at not disappointing anyone eventually lead to someone often being disappointed. We also try and hope for the best. When I walked through the building for the first time at Belmont, there were a lot of questions in my mind. But along with those questions, there was a lot of hope as well. I didn't know what God's plan was, but I thought, well, hopefully something can be done So this building can continue to be a place people can come and encounter God and the gospel can continue to be preached. Kids can learn. God's love can be shared. I'm thanking Lord this morning along with you that that is the case this morning. Here's a picture of Pastor Brian. I took this this morning of him in his pulpit there in Belmont. Uh, on that stage, and right now, as we are here, the gospel is being preached in that place. Hope is being shared, and it's happening there as well as here. But even as we walked through that building, even as we understood and started to understand, okay, God has a plan for us to be involved in this project, there were still a lot of hopes I had. I thought, well, hopefully, the heating system will be fine, and we won't have to replace it. Uh, Hopefully, and that may have been a pretty uh, unlikely hope. I thought hopefully this little boiler that looks like it's too small for my house will be big enough for this church and these pipes that were put in in the 1900s will be good and they weren't. But I'm glad because they have air conditioning now this morning as they sit there. I also thought, I looked around and I thought, well, hopefully all the electric will not need to be replaced. Another hope that was not fulfilled. (laughs) I was disappointed All the electric in the building had to be replaced. And we did that. And at one point, all the stuff we saw in the building, Pastor Brian and I thought, well, hopefully it'll be worth something. And as we get rid of it, maybe someone will buy something and it'll help pay for the renovations. We thought, there's this beautiful pipe organ in here. Surely someone is just looking to buy a pipe organ. They're not. If you have one at home, not a big market for them. Uh, We finally found someone who agreed to take it out free of charge that said they would not throw it away. And we said, wonderful, take it. Uh, We saw we had these beautiful pews that we weren't going to use. And we thought, oh, I've heard of people like renovating things. And everybody wants old pews from churches. And we'll just put them on eBay and they'll be gone like this. And they weren't. Nobody wants a 16-foot pew. Nobody has a place to put a 16-foot pew. We couldn't even get them here. I was like, well, we'll put one here in Burlington. They said, how will you get it there? I said, I have no idea. (laughs) So it wasn't worth anything. We at one point found a copy of the Gettysburg Address. 
And we thought, maybe it's an original. <laughs> we'll be on Antiques Roadshow. There'll be that, you know, like worth all this money. It wasn't an original. It was a lovely copy of the Gettysburg Address. But those hopes were not met. They're not fulfilled. We were disappointed. But a lot of times through life, we go through life hoping for the best. Somewhere between don't get your hopes up and hoping for the best, we live. But too often that middle ground is named disappointment. We hope for the best, but the result is something less than the best, something less that we had hoped. We try not to get our hopes up, but the very idea of that means we are really hoping that something else happens and we don't end up disappointed. One historian, Daniel Borston, suggests that Americans suffer from an all too extravagant expectations. He says this, he said, we expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars, which are spacious. Luxurious cars, which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable. Powerful and merciful. Active and reflective. Kind and competitive. We expect to stay thin and eat. We expect to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly. To go to a church of our choice and yet feel it's a guiding power over us. To revere God and to be God. Never have people, be more, never have, uh, people been more the masters of their environment, yet never has a people felt more deceived and disappointed. For never has a people expected so much more than the world could offer. There's a lot of hope out there, but there's also a lot of disappointment. So is there any real hope, or is it just optimistic thinking for the best? In this series, in the next few weeks, we'll see how you can keep hope through suffering. We'll talk about how to explain hope if you are a Christian to someone who's not a Christian. We'll talk about what the ultimate hope of the Christian is. And this morning, we'll talk about what real hope is and how that real hope doesn't disappoint. People often walk through life with a hopefully attitude. They think hopefully things will work out all right. Hopefully, I don't get disappointed. We call that person an optimist. You know that person. I know that person. You may be that person. But those hopefullys don't always work out. But there is a hopefully that always works out. And in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. There's a hope that we can hang on to that will not disappoint us. It is a hope the Christian faith is built upon. It is a hope spoken about by the Apostle Paul in a letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul, early church planter, writing to the church in Rome at the time. The church in Rome, persecution was beginning to come to the church in Rome. And Paul was writing this letter to them in the midst of their persecution about the Christian faith. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, this is what Paul writes to them. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope 
of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Would you say that one line with me together? And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. So we look at this passage this morning. I want to look at two things. One, <clears throat> why does hope not disappoint? And two, what is this hope that Paul is speaking about? The first thing I want to talk about is why. How can Paul say that there is a hope in Christ that does not disappoint? So many of us, as I've just said, we walk through life and we have disappointment. We get our hopes up. We hope something's going to happen and it doesn't. We hope something's going to work out and that we've all been disappointed. And yet Paul says there is a hope that will not, never, ever disappoint you. How can he say this? In order for hope to be fulfilled, I think it takes at least three things. One, it takes someone's ability to do it. Two, it takes someone's willingness to do it. And three, it takes the character of someone to follow through on it. Let me give you this example. It's like this. Suppose you were at work and you went to your boss at work and you said, look, I am a, I've got some family issues that are going on and there's a lot going on at home and I really need to take some time off. And I don't know how long it'll be, but I need to get some time off. I need to spend some time with my family. Would that be all right? Now, you are hoping that that request would be fulfilled. And the first question that comes up is, does your boss, does she have the ability to fulfill that request? Uh, maybe she doesn't. Maybe that something came down and said, you know what? Uh, people are taking too much time off. This is becoming a problem. And anyone who wants time off has to go through HR. And so maybe she says, well, look, I'd love to give you the time off, but I don't have the power or the ability to do it. You're going to have to go through HR. You know, you're going to have to go through someone else. Or maybe she just says, look, there's just so much work right now. I'm not even able to tell you that you can have that time off. So she may not have the power or the ability to do it. But even if someone has the ability to fulfill your hopes, the next question is, do they have the willingness to do it? Perhaps, perhaps this is someone who says, you know, perhaps your boss is someone who believes in family and who, who supports that and believes that people that take care of their families are the type of people we want working here and believes that, you know, if you are, if things are good at home, things are going to be good at work. And so she is more than willing to say, yes, go take care of your family. You know, that, that's fine, but perhaps not. Perhaps she's someone who thinks, you know what? 
people are too lazy and you're just looking for an excuse to get out of work. Or maybe she's someone who had a bad family background and if you give her a reason like wanting to miss work because of family, she's just not willing to let you do it. Maybe she's not willing to. But even if someone has the ability and the willingness, they may not have the character to actually follow through with it. So, oh yeah, that would be great. No problem. I'll let you take the time off. I'll file the paper. And they never do. Or, yeah, we'll talk about it another time. That sounds good. And we never have the conversation. These, these three things need to come together for someone to be able to have your hopes fulfilled. Otherwise, you end up disappointed. The person's not able to do it. The person's not willing to do it. The person just doesn't do it, doesn't follow through. And you end up disappointed. Paul, in writing the letter to the Romans, is saying this. The reason you can trust that your hope in Christ will never be disappointed is because, one, God is able to complete and fulfill this hope. He's talking about God. This is God, after all. He doesn't have to explain it. He can do whatever he wants and whatever he says he is going to do. God does not write checks he cannot cash. And if God says your hope will not be disappointed, then your hope will not disappoint you because he is able to do it. But Paul then goes on to say not only is he able, he is willing to do it. He is willing to fulfill this hope. If we look at verse 5 once again, it says, And hope does not disappoint us because, say that word with me, because this is the reason hope does not disappoint. Here is God's willingness because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The reason you can trust that God will not ever disappoint you is because he has poured out his love into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in God, you put your trust in him, when you believe in him and trust in Jesus for your life and salvation, there is a love that God fills your heart with. This is a bit subjective, but it is reality. It is knowing that God not only exists, but that he loves you. For it is one thing to know that there is a powerful creator it is quite another to know that that creator personally knows you and loves you and cares for you. See, that's different. Because when my hope is in someone not only that exists and is powerful, but when my hope is in someone who exists, is powerful, and loves me, that changes things. That, that suddenly starts to become a hope that will not disappoint. If you just know that God is out there, but you don't know if he really loves you, you may question whether hope will disappoint you. But if you trust that he loves you and has your best interest in mind, and has your best interest at heart, you don't have to question that you'll be disappointed. It's a bit like, I, I thought, it's a bit like a child perhaps a child who's been adopted but wants to meet his biological parents and has that opportunity. It doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes it does. For a long time, that child may have known that those parents were out there, but never had the opportunity to meet. Doesn't know what happened, why they were put up for adoption. Does this parent, what will this be like? It's one thing to know that your father or mother exists out there. It's another thing to meet them face to face, and then to learn that they love you. 
It's one thing to know that there is a heavenly Father in heaven. It's another thing to understand that when you put your faith in him, that this love fills your heart and that he loves you. And suddenly the hope that I put in him is a hope that I know will not be disappointed. Your heart is filled with that love. But Paul does not stop at the subjective love of God in our hearts. The love in our hearts is a feeling of the love of God. And while feelings are important, and while we don't build our faith on them, they are important. But he doesn't stop at the subjective love of God. He then points to the objective love of God. Look at verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says it's not just the subjective love of God in your heart. There's an objective love of God that's demonstrated in the death of Jesus Christ for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, a demonstration of the objective love of God. Paul is saying the most valuable thing you have, everyone knows it, the most valuable thing you have is your life. You do not give that away lightly. Why? Because it's the only one you have. It could be painful to do so, and once you do, it's gone. You only get to do it once, and your time on this earth is finished. And so Paul says, look, for a righteous person, someone who lives life really, you know, well and they're righteous and everyone thinks they're righteous, somebody, you know, most people won't die for that person. For a good person, you know, someone you know and you, and you think they're good and, and, and you think that, you know, they're doing good things, someone might dare die for them. But he says, for an evil person, for the ungodly, that's who Christ died for. See, you and I might think, well, if somebody's doing really good work, you know, and they're helping maybe kids or they're helping the poor, you know, I, if it came to it, someone might lay down their life. Maybe I'd even lay down my life for them. But what Paul is saying, what the Bible says, is that the love of God is so demonstrated towards you that it's not the good person. It's the evil person. It's the sinner's. It's the ones that are ungodly. It's not the, the child that's being helped that Christ only died for. It's the one who abuses the children that Christ died for. It's not only the victim of the crime and the victim of the violence that Christ died for. It's the one perpetrating the victim, the, the crime that Christ died for. And this is hard for us to embrace but only hard for us to embrace if we don't understand that we were the sinners living apart from God, that apart from God, we are the ungodly. And Paul says, this is how you know of God's love. He didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. He didn't wait for you to make yourself right because you couldn't and I couldn't. What he did is he died for you while you were a sinner. And that is the objective, ultimate love of God. Paul is saying God demonstrates his love for us and dying for us before we ever knew we needed someone to die for us. 
He loved us while we were unlovely. He laid down his life when you weren't asking him to. He did it out of love. He did it because that is who he is and that is what you needed. And the reason that hope in God will not disappoint is because your hope is grounded in the love of God and that love is in your heart, but it is also seen in Jesus dying for you so that you can be forgiven and saved. God has the love and the power and the ability and the integrity and the character to fulfill all the hope that you and I would put within him. With some people, love may be there, but power not. With others, power may be there, but love not. With God, there is love and power and ability. So Paul can say that when you put your hope in him, even when you are persecuted, he's writing to this Roman church, even when you are going through difficulty, even when you are suffering, even when things don't look the way you would like them to look, when you have your hope in Christ, it will not disappoint you. And you will not be disappointed. When hope is built upon love and power, only then can you trust that hope will not disappoint you. We have a hope that is grounded in the supreme love. Jesus died for sinners. We have a hope that is grounded in supreme power. God himself offers us this hope. Therefore, we have a hope that will not and cannot ever disappoint us when we hope fully in Christ. So following and loving God is no sacrifice. My hope will never be disappointed. See, here's the difference between the optimist and Christian hope. The optimist goes through life saying, hopefully things will work out all right. The one who trusts in Christ and follows him walks through life saying, things will be all right because I hope fully in Christ. And that's the difference. That I can look around at my circumstances and say, they may not look the way I'd like them to look, but I don't have to walk through life saying, well, hopefully it'll work out because I know that if I hope fully in Christ, that it will be all right. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not even on this side of heaven. But I trust in the Lord that the one who made the promises will deliver on them. And when I hope fully in Christ that even death itself may come, remember who Paul's writing to, people being persecuted, they've got friends who are Christians who are being burned on stakes by Nero. But if you hope fully in Christ, it will not disappoint you even if death may come. And so Paul can write, that hope does not, will not, ever disappoint. And we might have disappointment in this world, but it will not be disappointment with the hope you put in Christ. And this applies to our lives in so many ways. When we endeavor to live our lives for God, when we endeavor to live our lives in God's way, we don't have to wonder if it's going to work out all right. We don't have to wonder if, it'll, if living for God will work out all right for us. You don't have to wonder and say, well, you know, hopefully, hopefully it'll work out all right. Hopefully, if I follow God's laws, I won't regret it. You don't have to wonder that. You don't have to wonder and say, well, hopefully if I forgive this person, I won't regret it. 
Because when you hope fully in Christ, your hope won't be disappointed. You don't have to wonder, well, hopefully if I, if I love this person who, who I might consider my enemy, who I, if I extend grace to this person who may even hurt me again, hopefully I won't regret it. You don't have to wonder about that. Because when you hope fully in Christ, you won't be disappointed. You don't have to wonder and say, well, hopefully I won't regret uh, not sleeping with my girlfriend before we enter into the covenant of marriage. You don't have to wonder about that. Because when you live by God's laws, you won't be disappointed. You don't have to wonder about, well, hopefully I won't regret not cheating on this test at school. You don't have to wonder about that because if I hope fully in Christ, I will not be disappointed. And so we live our lives in light of who God has called us to be. And we don't have to walk through life, life thinking, well, hopefully it works out all right. Because when we hope in Christ, we will not be disappointed. It's this hope. Many people, I'll close with this, live their lives with one big hopefully. Many people walk through life on this earth with one big hopefully, and that's this. Hopefully. I'll get into heaven. This is the one big hopefully that many of your friends and family members, maybe you yourself sitting here, walk through life with. Hopefully, I'll have done enough. Hopefully, I won't have done too much bad things. Hopefully, I won't have hurt too many people. Hopefully, at the end of life, the good outweighs the bad, and hopefully, I get into heaven. What Paul is saying, is that with the Christian, there is no hopefully when it comes to getting into heaven. Because when you hope fully in Christ, you can be assured that by faith through grace you have been saved. And this not of yourselves. That you will and have assurance of heaven. You look at this, just the first part of this verse. Look at verses 1 and 2 that, uh, that are in this in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. None of that is by your own doing or my own doing. It is by faith. It is through grace that we have entered into relationship with our Heavenly Father, that our hope is in Him, that, our, that heaven is secured, that our life eternal with Him is promised. It is through that hope, that hope that will not ever disappoint. And so you as a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to wonder at the end of life, hopefully I'll get into heaven because you can trust that the God who is able and willing has promised you that if you will put your faith in his son Jesus Christ and accept his sacrifice for your sins, that you are secured in him and heaven is part of your inheritance, life with God forevermore. There is no hopefully because if you hope fully in Christ, you will not be disappointed. An optimist goes through life thinking hopefully things will work out. A Christian goes through life knowing things will be just fine when I hope fully in Christ. So put your hope in God today. You will not be disappointed. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And as you do, I just want to give you a moment of sacred space here this morning. And maybe you're here this morning 
and you have been following Christ all of your life, and this is just an encouraging word, an encouraging reminder for you that your hope that you put in Christ will not be disappointed. And I pray that Christian man, Christian woman, that you will be encouraged by that. But maybe you're here today, and you have never put your hope in Christ. Maybe you're here today that were you to face that, were this your last day on earth, Maybe you're here today and you would think, hopefully I get into heaven. Hopefully God is pleased with me. Hopefully God loves me. Just want you to know today that from God's word, he tells you you don't have to live. You don't have to live under that uncertainty. You don't have to live wondering. You don't have to live just thinking, hopefully God loves me or hopefully he allows me into his heaven. The Bible says that if you will put your hope fully in Christ, that you can be assured of God's love. It will flood your heart. And you can be assured of God's salvation, not based on what you did, not based on anything you did, because you and I are both sinners, but based on what Christ has done. Not based on who you are, because we all fall short, but based on who Christ is and who God is. And that is why, that is the basis that God offers you salvation. That is the basis that God offers you security in Him and life eternal with Him. Salvation from your sins, from the consequences of your sins. Salvation from the guilt that we carry when we don't have that forgiveness of our Creator. And it's putting your hope fully in Him. And I encourage you, if you have never done that, that there's no better day than today that you would this morning come to Jesus and in your own words and in your own heart and in your own sacred space right where you're at, that you would say today, Lord, I don't want to live just thinking hopefully you love me or hopefully I get into heaven. Today, I want to put my hope fully in Jesus Christ. Today, I want to begin living my life for you as my Lord and my Savior. And as you do that, and as you tell him that in your space, right there in your words, he created you, he knows you, he hears you. As you tell him that, that love that Paul talks about will flood your heart. God will come to dwell within you. You will experience and know that love of God in your heart, even as in your mind, you begin to understand that objective love of God, of Jesus dying in your place and in my place on that cross, a punishment that we deserved, sins that we had accumulated, and yet he took it for us so that we can be restored to relationship with him. If you've never done that before, this morning I encourage you to put your faith and trust in him, even now as I pray. Father, I thank you for the assurance of your word. I thank you that we don't have to walk through life wondering whether there's a God out there somewhere that exists and whether he loves us or not. I thank you for revealing yourself and demonstrating your love in the most incredible and in the most powerful way that you could by coming and living among us, by coming and laying even your own life down for us ungodly sinners. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for that man, that woman, that young man, that young woman who's in this place, who's never put their hope in you, and this morning is doing that even now. 
I pray that you would be faithful to your word and that you would do what you said, that your love would flood their heart even now, that your Holy Spirit would come to dwell in them, that they would understand that by grace through faith they have been saved and that they would come to know you and love you, God. And that even as they take their first steps in following you, that you would walk with them. Father, bless them. And Lord, I pray for that Christian who walked in this place under a spirit of uncertainty, under a spirit of worry or anxiety. Would you fill them with certainty? Would you let them know that when they hope fully in Christ, that in the end, they will never be disappointed. And we ask this in Christ's name.